Why? Indigenous Words and Ideas with Arcia Tecun. Welcome back to another episode. We have a special guest today, the Tufunga Tatatau Terry Kolomatangi. But before we get to that, I want to give a big Vinakavakalevu, Fafatai Telelava to Philip Movesi, aka DJ Phil the Builder, for hooking it up with some fresh sounds to the introduction. My workload's about to get a little bit heavier, so I'll try to get a few more episodes out before that hits, and we'll try to stay on it um, throughout the year uh, as I'm able to. Last year with COVID, things got a bit hectic and got a little bit burned out there at the end, but I'm back and excited to share some more ideas with everyone as well as try to rope in some more voices from colleagues who are doing uh, excellent work as well. So uh, stay tuned for those and we will turn it over now to hearing from Terry Kolomatangi from Small Axe Studio here in Tamaki Makaurau, Auckland, Aotearoa, New Zealand. Uh, my name is uh, Terry Kolomatangi. Uh, my family are from Pangaimotu and Vavau and Kolobai and Tomitapu. Um, I was born in Tonga and uh, was raised there by my grandparents for the first six years of my life and then um, found my way here to Aotearoa, New Zealand. Migrated here with my, or was brought over here um, as my mother and her new family had sort of set themselves up here by that point. Oh, nice. So I came over here as a little fresh Tongan boy. (laughs) 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 Couldn't speak any English um, at the time. Um, Yeah, man, and and basically landed in... uh, in Otara, South Auckland, and sort of grew up out there. Otara, Papatoi, Otahuhu, sort of those areas I grew up in over the years. How did you get into Tata So my initial interest in it came about, I have a friend who, Samoan friend who got his better done. And up until that point, I had no clue about Samoan, traditional Samoan tattooing let alone Tongan tattooing at all. So um, he introduced me to, oh, sort of a roundabout introduction. I ended up meeting his, his tofunga, Sua Sua Pipaolo, who, um, rest in peace, is no longer with us. But uh, I met him in, I think it was 98, if I recall, 97, 98. And um, actually went along to him with this idea of just getting a, armband you know like armbands were pretty popular at that point <laughs> and um and I'd, I'd seen my this beautiful work that he'd done on my friend and so I went rocked along with this uh, book that I'd found um which had been released recently called The Art of Tonga and it was put together by I think it's Keith St. Cartmile is his name and it was the first book I'd ever seen on that was like a comprehensive sort of um I suppose collection of Tongan yeah, Tongan art and writing about Tongan art. And in there was this this picture of a male tatatau, Tongan male tatatau, that was drawn by um, De Urville in the 1800s. And so like, that got me really excited, having seen uh, my friend Greg's pair. But I was like, 
I went in with this idea, I'll just get an armband to kind of like, <laughs> that sort of makes a nod to that, but isn't that, you know? And so I went along and I met, um, met Pablo, and first day I was there, literally I just sat on the mat from about, oh man, it's like 10 in the morning until you know, 5 or 6 o'clock at night. We didn't talk at all about tattooing, I was just watching him work and talking with other people and stuff. And he said, I'll come back tomorrow. So I went back the next day and um, I sort of had this book with me and I'd drawn out this kind of armband idea that I had. I said, oh, I wanted to get something like this. You know, because, you know, I just discovered that Tongans used to do tattooing. And, but at that point, bro, I knew nothing. I, I was, you know, I'd been in New Zealand for a few years and I'd started over that time and sort of, because the, the environment that I grew, grew up in wasn't very supportive of the language or the culture, Tongan language or Tongan culture, so I'd sort of, there was a bit of a distance starting to happen. And I, I knew nothing really at that point. I knew very little about Tongan culture, I feel, because I wasn't really an active part of my life and, and I knew even less about, you know, Tongan arts, and, apart from ngatu, which was, you know, I'd see or baskets or whatever. Anyway, so I went to Paolo's and took him this book, took him my little crappy drawing of an armband and he sort of looks at the armband and looks at the picture in the book, looks at the armband and he goes, why would you do this if you could do that? <laughs> <laughs> and so he was referring to the tātātāo on this Tongan male. And I was just like, oh, oh, you know, never even had even, as much as I, it was an awe of my, what my friend had, I never even sort of considered it or even thought about it as a possibility. I was just, uh, for whatever reason. And um, I was just like, oh, maybe I'll start with the armband and then I'll work my way towards that. But he was really quite sort of insistent that the armband wasn't really going to cut it. And he just kind of left me to sit with that for a little while and I just kept coming back and spending time with him and watching him work. And then, um, and then we just kind of, one day he just sort of said to me, so what are you going to do? And I was like, okay, we'll do it. And um, that was really the beginning of my journey with Tata Tao with Tongan tattooing and so we sort of I hung out there more and watched him work more and he sort of started indicating some potential times when we might be able to start the work and he said you know he was this was like 98 bro so the internet was I don't even know if it was alive in 98 <laughs> but he was um, so and there wasn't much material apart from this one book on Tongan tattooing but he was he was he traveled quite extensively and he'd said that he'd recalled seeing some other information about Tongan tattooing in Europe somewhere. And um, he'd brought, he'd shown me this, this book that had another kind of, it was like another interpretation of that durable drawing, but the person was standing up as opposed to seated. So it was like an artist's impression of, of that drawing. And he was saying to me, oh, you know, they're, they're saying that that drawing is, is Samoan, but it's not. It's this. It's the. It's basically the same one as that Durval one of the Tongan man. So he he'd started over that period was starting to kind of, I guess, piece together what the work might look like yeah. and thinking behind the work. And um, we kind of yeah eventually got to the point where he was ready and I was I suppose as ready as I would ever be. <laughs> and yeah, we made a start. And we Paolo was the first person that attempted the revival of Tongan Tafatao and uh, that was in 99 and he started tattooing me. We started on the Va'a 
across the back, but um, he changed it and he made it a double galia. And he wrote this beautiful thing about why he, he thought that was appropriate for us to do. And talked about Tonga's history as, you know, great navigators, but it also talked about Tonga's relationship with Samoa and him as a Samoan tefunga. With, according to him, he had Tongan whakapapa as well. And the work was kind of speaking in that space. It was sort of acknowledging what had been done, but he was also very much forging a new path forward based on his knowledge and his understanding and based on the information that we were able to gather up until that point. So we started the piece, he did the kalia across my back, and then sadly he, we started that work and then he had to go overseas for a trip and he went overseas, he was gone for about three weeks, and then on his return we had set to continue the work. and. He came back, I think he'd been back in the country for a week and he got in touch and made it or made a time for me to come around. And I went over to his house and um, police everywhere, the road was blocked off and he'd been killed. And so that that pretty much was the full stop in yeah. terms of that, that part of my Tata story, with Pablo at least. Actually, it's interesting, uh, you and I, we were talking earlier about Whakawa and Kava in terms of the ritual and ceremony of Tātātau. And the evening before, my, um, she was like the matriarch of our family, but she had decided that an appropriate thing to, for us to do the night before was to go and start the, the polo to start the tattooing, was we all sat and we had Kava. And yeah, it was just this beautiful way to kind of start that journey. And then the next day, um, I there was a point where I kind of tapped out because I was like, I gotta go get some sleep. But and it's what you touched on earlier. The family stayed and they kept drinking, and they were there in that support role, um, and continuing to hold up that support role throughout the night. And then the next morning, before I went to Bowles, we, um, my mum and the matriarch of our family at the time. They basically um, prepared me for the journey ahead. I was oiled down, wrapped up in ngatu, wrapped up in tapa, wrapped up in beautiful mats, and then basically presented to Paulo the next day. And uh, yeah, and we began the work. Mm. But um, I know that some years later, Paulo's older brother did connect, Paulo's brother, sorry, connected with um, Aisea Dodu. In Hawaii, and Asia is a is a Tongan tattooist, and they also they made a Dadadao for Asia, and um, that's what's become known as the Tabaka, and that's the common sort of term, I suppose, that's floating around at the moment. Hmm. You know, after this, and and like you have this resurgence in a sense, you know, Tabaka. Can you maybe explain a little bit about that, and maybe what? Other terms said, obviously with pe'a, which we hear from in Samoa, mm. and then I've heard peka, peka for Tongan. Yeah. And so, I don't know, maybe you could help kind of clarify. Yeah, I mean, I, what, what I understand in terms of that term, peka peka, is actually just one part of it. And I think it's the same in Samoa, like the pe'a just refers to the, the actual back. 
it's it's that little triangle that's part of this bigger piece. The whole piece is muddle fear, but that the and I guess it's just become the and I'm no expert on on someone's itself, so um, you know. Uh, but my my understanding is that the the better the better is, is that one sort of triangular elongated triangular piece in the shape of a bat, and there are various names for other parts of the of the tatau. Same in Tongan, the the beka or alabeka is the term I've seen actually, and alabeka is these um, it describes these thick um, bands that wrap around the waist. Um, so, I mean, there's a few terms that I've been able to sort of uh, dig up over the years that relate to different parts of the tattoo in terms of what like what is the whole thing called man I really don't know and I and I and I don't think you know um, like I was saying earlier Isaiah um, has come up with um, Tabaka because for him it sort of encapsulates this journey that you're taking with with wearing Tabata um, I feel that and it's something I'm really, this is kind of my own thing, is that because Tonga historically was quite kind of, you know, like say Vava'u was its own, it was, it was, you know, almost um, independent. Yeah. Tong Tapu, Ha'apai, you know, so I really believe there was a regional style of Tapatau as well. And there's those two examples I touched on earlier, there's the tattooing of a man in Vava'u, and there's the um, then there's the eighteen forties version or ta- image of a of a tattooed man in Dongtapu, and they're very different looking. The placement is the same, and the significance around that part of the body, absolutely. But um, yeah, I, and I think because the what I believe is because there is a regional style, there would be you know, specific regional language around Dongtapu mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I, I'm kind of in that process of just piecing together little bits from here and little bits from there. I haven't arrived at a at a, at a overall sort of um, term that I feel sort of sums up what the Tātātāo is. Um, but I think, you know, what I see as presented is, is really is, um, is as good as any. You know, the Tāvaka talks of that journey. I guess for me, I, I would be interested, and I am interested in maybe looking a little further back, maybe, <laughs> to try and help guide what that term might be moving mm-hmm. forward. I guess that an opportunity to maybe talk a little bit about some of the conceptions or misconceptions that maybe exist today mm-hmm. that are maybe popular, but that don't speak to maybe the complexity, because you just opened up, right? Like, not only was, you know, that's a name for one part of this big piece, mm-hmm. you also have this regional distinctions that are taking place. And then obviously with kind of, a, you know, European contact and colonialism throughout the region, you have all these changes that take place. Mm-hmm. And so today, sometimes we look through the lens of today's setting, right, which is Tonga as a nation, mm-hmm. and kind of sometimes overlook those that diverse nuance of those regional mm-hmm. distinctions. Mm-hmm. And one that I think that I've come across is that, you can help clarify that as well, is that you know, you have the Tu'i Tonga, or, or these high-status, chiefly mm-hmm. entities in Tonga, 
that because of the tapu around them, we would go to Samoa to get their tatatau. Mm. But then that kind of closes off that there was also tattooing happening within Tonga. Yeah. And so if you could maybe yeah, work us through some of, some of that a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's definitely, you know, something that's out there is that, um, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, the, the, the sort of sacred ones, the tapu ones would, would, could not be touched by Tongan hands is, is, is the way the thinking goes. And so therefore they would, either tofunga would come, foreign tofunga would come into Tonga to do the work or they would travel to other parts, Samoa, for example, to have the work done. But there were definitely uh, practicing in Tonga, tattooing, you know, as you're aware, Tonga is highly kind of stratified and so every, every sort of class would have their tofunga, their, or their people who, who carried out, you know, various sort of roles and responsibilities within each of those different classes. And so, yeah, there, there were tofunga tātātāu who were practicing right throughout Tonga through the various, you know, vavao, tongatapu, hapai. I mean, I, I recall that there was one account of a tu'i, one of the chiefs from tongatapu travelling up to vavao to have his tatatau finished. So, yeah, these sacred ones were not necessarily leaving tongatapu to have work done. Maybe it was, yeah, just travelling to another region, yeah, or whatever the case may be. But definitely it was, it was a practice that was um, widely carried out throughout Tonga, by Tongan Tofunga. What about um, like placement, like from what you've seen, is it, because speaking to that one, like that's the one that we mostly think of, right, which is like waist yeah. um, down, yeah. but was there, like, is there other placements as well that... Yeah, the waist, the waist area, obviously there's a lot of, you know, it's a tapu space, so, so there's, there's, I think right throughout the Pacific you'll see, you'll see um, different markings being placed on that part of the body to talk about that tapu. But um, what I've come across, or and what I've come across in terms of placement within a Tongan context is that there, there was one description of these lines kind of coming up the back of, of this person and then there's different words that sort of um, describe tattooing on different parts of the body um, you know Nima I feel like we were kind of quite extensively tattooed people <laughs> back in the day <laughs> and I think that yeah like you mentioned through the influence of or through foreign influences you know like all of those practices start to get kind of quietened down get you know outlawed or frowned upon or whatever case may be but yeah there's definitely accounts of different parts of the body being tattooed for women for example the talk of the tattooing on the feet tattooing on the hands and between the fingers tattooing there's a kind of about the tattooing on the arms because I think that's that's being confused with a different type of mark making which is more of a branding um, I can't recall what the name of it is but the process is it's like a concentric circle design and I'm, and it's it's related to death rituals but it's not a it's not tatatau it's not tattooing as such there's a number of descriptions of different parts of the body being tattooed mm. you know along with the, the changes that make it 
like which is why we have to have the conversation we're having now, right? Is so tattooing was one of the ones that were one of the practices that was banned in Tonga for a time, yeah. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that. And yes. I mean, I mean, I'm familiar only that with Taufahau, right? When he centralizes power, yeah. But he also instigated instituted a lot of bans, absolutely. Like um, in collaboration with missionaries, but also maybe of his own <laughs> strategic, uh, strategic <laughs> plans also. So. Yeah, what happened with Tata then? And yeah, I mean, uh, but it was actually 1839 was when that, that, the Vava'o came into, into being. I mean, when it was written, it was heavily influenced by the missionaries to, you know, to start to... Yeah, there was that thing of centralising power in Tonga, but also to start to try and shape Tonga to be a more kind of missionary-compliant society. And tattooing was one of those practices. And... Actually, I was having this discussion with a friend of mine the other day, and I think it's still actually law. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's still a law. It's still a written law that um, tattooing is illegal, which is crazy because how many tattoo shops are in, in Nukalofa alone? Like, there's, man, I can think of like three or four just off the top of my head. But yeah, it, it's one of those practices that was, um, you know, just seen as a. Again, that missionary influence, that seen as a heathen practice. These kind of ideas that don't necessarily sort of align with the practices that are happening at the time. And it's a lot of that is also about, you know, as you mentioned, like centralising power, but also breaking down the possibility of all, you know, these other power kind of bodies of power within Tongan society. I think about the former Tātātāo, and they held a specific position within society that was you know, really important. And I think you start to break down all these practices, you start to kind of like fragment society in a way so then you can mm. rebuild it into the into the picture of what you see as appropriate or civilized. Mm. Mm. Like when that happens, right? One of the things that I've observed in the case of like Kava, but also in other societies, when they're kind of dealing with this massive change that's happening all at once, like sometimes the, the practices might disappear in some sense of expression, but maybe the values or knowledge either survive subversively, or we talked about like these echoes that mm-hmm. that are still kind of there. And I guess what's your insights on that? Like did some of these knowledge and values go underground or do they get transmitted to these different places? Or I guess, what do you work from? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess for me, a key, a key source for say men's tattooing, it would be the, um, you know the war clubs. There's a significant kind of significant relationship between you know those objects and what's carved on those objects and the manner of the men that held them. And so I feel that what you see in terms of, of like if we just if we're just talking pure aesthetics and we're just talking about layouts and, and patterning and stuff like that, you can like when I look at them in the round, you could see how that that sort of way of dealing with. Um, with, uh, with Kupesi on a round object, on an object in the round can translate really nicely to the body. So I feel that, you know, that, that's a kind of interesting thing to think about, that maybe, you know, these things that are no longer able to be used to mark, or these, these Kupesi that are no longer used to mark the body can now be used to mark other objects. You know, ngatu, I think there's some stuff in Ngatu, but I feel, because Ngatu is... And this is my knowledge on Ngatu, and I'm no expert by any stretch of the imagination, but it's definitely, you know, it's a woman's space, eh? And so I feel that, 
maybe the marks on there are telling a different story the patterning on there are telling a different story but having said that they could you know Tongan arts are so interconnected and, and sort of you know it's all kind of feeding in and out of each other and so I feel that there's potential within Ngāpū as well yeah. uh, but for me definitely I feel that a key source for me has been has been the war clubs absolutely yeah. Yeah. for men's tattooing for women's tattooing it's a different story you know um, I kind of feel like you know you could look at some of the treatments on say um, you know some of the sort of on, on some of the fine mats you know or you could look at some of the treatment on some of the baskets even there's beautiful kind of delicate you know the descriptions of, of women's tattooing historically um, there's this one beautiful description and I think it was from like uh, what's his name it's one of the Dutch explorers I can't remember his name Table Asman? Was that Table Asman? Maybe it was him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Or Tasman. Yeah, Abel Tasman. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I got it backwards. <laughs> and I think it was I think it was on his um, on his journey and it described the tattooing of, of a Tongan woman as she was wearing these spotted stockings and they were like like stars on her on her legs. And I thought, like, you know, there's all those little beautiful clues like that that we you know, that we we find in all these different um, records that these these early explorers and missionaries were had captured that, that we can we can draw on in terms of you know trying to understand how we might treat the body and what the markings may have looked like and and I think it's it's a Tongan thing it's also an indigenous thing we have a strong relationship with the natural world it's a key part of of the way that we are in the world, you know, and so I, I look a lot to to that type type of thing too, you know, like looking at pattern that you might find in in plants or on the surface of um, trees or you know these kinds of things mm. or you know fetu or <laughs> fish or whatever it might be, you know. So I think there's lots of clues there available to us. I think it's kind of just taking the time to yeah to to do some digging and. And sort of discover all that stuff. I remember talking to um, Professor Mahina recently, and talking about Tao and he goes, you know, I just I loved what he said was that you know we're not inventing, we're not creating anything, we're just discovering stuff. You know, we're rediscovering things, and I, I like I like that way of I like that approach to the work. Is that it's all there? It's all there waiting for us. We just got to keep putting in the effort. So with your practice, mm. where do you, I guess, where do you see the kind of revitalizing versus adding on to mm. what's your sense of protocol? Like what, because I know you're constantly building new stuff as well. Yeah. Like where, yeah. I think for me, it's, it's constantly, it's about constantly building. I think that's what we did. You know, like even, you know, there's that thing where, where and it's always comes up in that discussion of traditional like that was just one snapshot in time there was a whole lot of other stuff that led up to that and a whole lot of other stuff that was around that at that one snapshot in time 
And so I, I feel that, you know, uh, from a Tongan perspective or from an indigenous perspective, like we are constantly innovating and developing. And that's part of keeping the thing alive. There are certain things we hold on to that we continue to bring forward, but even they start to sort of shape, change and, and sort of morph and as necessary, you know, as they need to. For me, in, in terms of my practice, I, I'm, I guess it's like it is really heavily research-based and I'm, for, it's really important for me that I have a really clear understanding of why I'm doing something. Not just like putting on a mark because it looks cool. It's important for me to have a really full understanding of why I'm putting that mark on and everything around that. Um, and I mentioned that earlier, like at the, at the moment, really working on trying to understand what might the kind of ritual and ceremony be around the practice, around Tata, and how we, you know, we, we kind of look to these clues from our past to help shape that, and even look to existing practices to help shape that, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an ever-evolving and ever-developing thing yeah. in my mind. And I think also as, a, as an artist or a, a tfunga, it's also my responsibility to continue to, to grow and, and develop the practice. Yeah, it's definitely, that, that's what keeps it alive. I know you work primarily with black, yep. right? And you don't do shading. Nope. <laughs> and so do you mind explaining a little bit around that and okay. how, what, what makes, what makes that yours and Tongan and, mm. and you also use customary, mm. uh, the last time we met, right? Yeah. So wh I guess what are your, what's your thinking behind those yeah. practices? I think, I, I guess if I start with customary, I, I like that term because it's less problematic than traditional. <laughs> traditional is very much about, as I touched on earlier, it's like a snapshot. It's this kind of fixed thing and it doesn't allow for much movement. Customary to, to me is a little more flexible, you know, it sort of acknowledges what we understand as being appropriate, but it also allows us to continue to shape what is appropriate moving forward, I think, yeah. In terms of why I, the, I guess in terms of what the work looks like, I, I mentioned earlier some of the words that terms that relate to Dao da, that I've kind of discovered, rediscovered over the years and a lot of the work relates back to those. They're, they're not necessarily talking about a, a kubesi or a pattern necessarily, but they're talking about a way of making marks. Um, there's one term that I, man, was doing my head in for years and I could just, I, I found it in one of the old dictionaries and it was a term called makauka. And I kept putting it in front of Tongans and language experts and different knowledge holders because, you know, my grasp of the language isn't strong at the moment. And so, you know, everyone would come back to me with these different, but they couldn't quite link it back to Tātātāo. And it would be like maka uka, one example, one thing was that maka stone and uka was to do with this kind of like doughy consistency. And so, you know, that's probably the the best that someone could arrive at. And I was like, man, what have they got to do with tattooing? And then it wasn't until last year, like I was reading this old paper and in that old paper, there were a few terms that had been noted and, um, and it was like makauka. And it basically brought it right back into Tātātāo and it talked about how it's a way of tattooing 
where you use lines close together to form density as opposed to just black, just mm. filling the whole area with black. So I guess going back to you know why the research aspect is so important for me is to understand that and how that translates into actual mark making. So that when I make the mark, I understand why I'm making the mark in that way and I can at least talk to it you know, to some degree because obviously there's more to unpack in terms of that actual term. And that was a very literal capture because it was captured by, it was recorded by one of the early missionaries whose name escapes me right now, but um, you know, it's very, and you've got to think about how things get lost in translation and all of these kinds of ideas. But it was just nice to be able to like finally pull this word back into a tattooing context. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and then, and then some of the, some of the use, say if we're looking at things like black, it's quite a significant sort of colour in the Tongan worldview. You know, you think about Ngātuuli, you know, the significance of those and that sort of relationship between, I think someone described black in that sort of ta va space as well. Ta is rare, va is black. It's just kind of like, and I think taking some of those ideas and sort of looking at how you bring them into mark making, it just adds to the layers in the mark making itself. So the lines can carry more space, or that, that makauka. Yeah, well that's one, one way of doing it. I mean, I also think that there's stuff that goes on in the areas that are not marked that's just as important mm. as the stuff that's going on in the areas that are marked. Yeah. So there's always relationship between the line and the, the line on the skin and the part on the skin that's got no line on it. And there's, there's something interesting there that is still being unpacked. <laughs> and it's like, the more, it's one of those things, and you're probably aware of this in your work with Gava, it's the more you dig, yeah. the bigger the hole gets, but the more you've got to keep digging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> the more you find, the more you've got to keep digging. You know? yeah. So, you know, I think the practice is, it's in a really exciting space, I think, because there are more people interested in it. And for me, that's amazing. Because I've been on this journey for some time, and, and the interest from Tongans has been pretty, it's been in small bits and pieces and little bites here and there, but no real significant interest. But I think the work that's being done by people like myself and other um, Tongan tattooists is really starting to, who are interested in that sort of customary, that customary tattoo space, is really starting to generate more interest amongst Tongan community. Mm. And that's really exciting. Because the interest hasn't always been there with the Tongan community, so I imagine it becomes increasingly important to have a bigger pool, right? Of not only skin to work with, but people. How do you navigate through that? I was just thinking of like some Tamoko Tonga, for example, that there might be certain things that they won't do if you're not of a certain iwi or if you're not Maori even. Is there anything that you kind of think of in regards to that? I guess my position around, say, um, the sharing of our mark making or our marks with people who may not be of, you know, of Tongan genealogy, Tongan, who we have Tongan whakapapa. I believe that as long as we, the Tongan, the Fungatata were in control of that distribution, then it's safe. Because there are certain things that we, I believe, we are comfortable to share and 
and uncomfortable to make available to people because people have an interest in the work or have some connection to Tonga or will just find it something that's beautiful and, and have an interest in tattooing and might want to carry some marks. I think as long as we're in control of that distribution, it's pretty safe. I think it becomes problematic when you have people who have no connection through blood to Tonga who start tattooing Tongan things because there's stuff gets lost in translation I believe and that's something I actually learned you mentioned earlier you know some of our, our Maori cousins who you know they've, they've kind of drawn this line and you know some people like you know they'll talk tāmoko and then they'll call, talk um, kirituhi which is marks that are not whakapapa based. I feel that that's, a, that's kind of an interesting space to operate from too because you can, there are certain things that you would put on someone that would talk about their genealogy and there are certain marks that you would put on some or you wouldn't put those same marks on someone who isn't of that place. So ultimately I think as long as we're in control of it, we're, we're pretty safe. And, you know, for me being part of this wider kind of indigenous tattooing community, we all support each other in that space too. I think we all have a, generally have a, a pretty good knowledge of what... The, it's funny, but the tattoo, indigenous tattooing community is actually not that big. <laughs> it's relatively tight and it doesn't take long for people to know what everyone else is up to. And, you know, that support network is really important too, especially if you're in that space of, of rediscovery and making work that's adding to the history of Tongan tattoo. Yeah, because you know, I kind of feel that's the space that I'm in. Like, I'm very much absolutely 100% looking at what we did in the past for sure, but I'm also really interested in my role as a tafunga, as a tattooist, as an artist, is to, is to also help keep that alive and relevant and that's by looking to the past to help create new stories moving forward. For me my hope is that more Tongans embrace the fact that Tonga had a rich history of tattoo historically and that we can bring that rich history forward and into the future of us you know? and it doesn't have to be something that goes against or rubs up against in a, in a wrong way with the way that Tongans are today. I feel that, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a, you know, some of the thinking, particularly around, I guess, religious influence on Tonga and its, and its old practices. There's, there's a kind of, I think, that may add to a bit of reluctance for people to embrace Tantau. As, as a practice, as, a, as something that's part of our cultural identity. But my hope is that the more work that we do in that space, not just me, but other Tongan tattooists that are out there, the more work we do in that space, the more we kind of normalise it and the more we return it to being part of Tongan cultural identity. Regardless of the, the tools or the patterns or... Sorry, that yeah, one no, just came out as you said that. Cause one, I was like, I hadn't asked that, and I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. you say that. Well, yeah. I, I, for me, I think, I, I think in terms of tools, let's talk about tools. I'm kind of in the process right now of uh, of moving towards using more of the hand tools for making work. But at the same time, and this goes back to how I was taught. So, 
the Samoan Tafunga that, that I first uh, learnt under and who tattooed me was really open to using the ao, the hand tools, and also using the machines. He just saw them as tools. It's what you do with those tools that's important. Yeah, there's a whakapapa to the hand tools that's important for us to, to hold on to as well. But I think at the same time, we don't need to, you know, like I think of us, uh, our ancestors as innovators, right? And I think like, if they were presented with this new technology, you know, they would take that new technology, adopt it, adapt it and use it. You know, so I think that's a mindset that we can take forward that helps us to be a bit more comfortable with being in, whether it's the machine space or the hand tool space. It's, they're all tools that are helping to ultimately kind of put Tongan marks back on the map on Tongan people. <laughs> but yeah, for me personally, that's, that's something I'm really um, interested in is, is making more work with the hand tool, for sure, as well as still doing machine work. I guess to get a kind of up-to-date peek at the work I'm doing is on my Instagram, at Turjek, T-E-R-J-E underscore K. And then also have my studio one, which is just Small X Studio. And in the coming weeks, I'll be posting up a link to a sort of uh, Dala series that I've been working on. Basically, similar situation to this, where I've just been sitting with uh, different Tongan knowledge holders just to talk about their views on Dawatau. The sort of information about Tavatao that's out there is, is really fragmented, eh? it's just bits and pieces here and there. But I understand that Tongan culture and Tongan arts are all interlinked, and so talking with these different people who have expertise in different areas, I think, will help give us more clues into Tavatao. It's in a historic context, but also looking at it today. I don't have a name for that yet, um, but it's going to be a three-part video series basically structured around past, present and future and uh, it'll be available on YouTube. <laughs> oh, <laughs> malo pito, man. Malo, awesome. Malo. Let's get it. Thank you, brother.